Hi, this is Sarah O'Connell. And this is Jonah Trebosser. Welcome back to another edition of Radio Rotary, made possible by Rotary District 7210. Each week we chat with your neighbors about great things happening in your community and around the world. People living by Rotary's motto of service above self. And today our special guest is Dr. Richard Ostfeld from the Cary Institute discussing his latest research on Lyme disease, which is a very, very hot topic. Well, Dr. Osfeld, welcome to Radio Rotary. Thank you very much. Let's get a very basic uh, piece of information out right now. What is Lyme disease? Lyme disease is a disease caused by a bacterium. It's a spirochete bacterium, which is a kind of a corkscrew-shaped little bug, and it's transmitted to people and among different wildlife hosts by the bite of a tick, the black-legged tick. And it's called Lyme disease because it was first discovered in Lyme, Connecticut, right? That's correct. Back in the mid to late 1970s. It was brand new to science. And we've just exhausted everything I know about Lyme disease. That's why we're delighted to have you here on the show. (laughs) Um, Now, you're talking about uh, the tick bite, and uh, I guess it starts out with the deer tick biting the deer, or how does that work? Well, it's actually, deer tick is a misnomer. It's an incorrect name that was given to the species of tick when it was thought to be brand new to science, but Mm -hmm. it turns out it was not. It's called the black-legged tick, um, and that's a bit more of a mouthful, but that's the correct name. Right. And... um, and it starts when the eggs of this tick hatch. They hatch uninfected with this bacterium that causes Lyme disease, and they have to get it from somewhere. And typically where these newly hatched ticks get the pathogen from, the bacterium from, is by biting some small mammal like a white-footed mouse or a chipmunk. Oh, not deer? No, they don't get infected from biting deer. Oh, Okay. No, they don't. There's, it's one of the reasons why we should avoid using the term deer right. tick okay. is because it, the deer does play a role. It feeds the adult stage, which mm-hmm. is the stage that breeds and lays eggs. Um, but they don't infect the ticks, and right. they don't play that critical role that many people think they do. So it's field mice, you're saying? Yeah, they're off in the woods. There's the, these are the white-footed mice. They're pretty much everywhere. Um, they're in my kitchen right now, as a mm-hmm. matter of fact. I'm trying to get rid of them. But they're usually off in the woods. They're very abundant. Um, and uh, these little newly hatched ticks will happily bite a mouse. They have a very high probability of getting infected with this bacterium if they bite that mouse. Then later on in their lives, they can give it to us. And how is it transmitted to humans? When this tick, um, it, if it gets infected by biting a mouse or a chipmunk, shrew, something like that, then it waits a year before molting into the next stage, and that's the nymph stage. It's very, very tiny. And they get on us uh, when we're out gardening or hiking in the woods, walking the dog, uh, clearing brush. And if that nymphal tick is able to feed on us for about a day or two, then we have a high probability of getting infected with that bacterium and, and we'll get quite sick. All right, let's, let's talk about uh, some of the symptomology. Uh, they used to tell us, you know, look out for a bullet uh, rash, like a, like a target, like a shooting target. Right. Uh, is where, that still where true? Where perhaps the tick had bitten you. That was the suspicion, correct? That's right. So it's a bullseye rash. It bullseye, a, thank you. Yeah, yes. it has a technical name, erythema migrans. That's what the doctors will tell you it is. But okay. it's a bullseye rash. Um, and it does occur in a fairly high percentage of cases of Lyme, but not 100%. So there mm-hmm. are people who have Lyme disease who don't have a rash at all or who have a rash that doesn't look like what the medical textbooks uh, show you in pictures of a bullseye rash. Um, and so people within a, a, about a week to two or three weeks after getting bitten by an infected tick will start to feel 
like a truck ran them over. They're, they're lethargic. It's hard to get out of bed. You have fever and chills. You they might have muscle aches. They flu-like symptoms. But, so you can be bitten and not, never see the bite, never have seen the tick. There's a, a fairly high percentage of Lyme disease patients never knew they were bitten by a tick. So how is it diagnosed then? How do you, how do you, well, when do you know to go to the doctor? Well, the, the season for Lyme disease is usually from um, April or May when these nymphal ticks start to come out until about August or so. That's the main season. And that's not the season where we generally get the flu. So if you feel flu-like symptoms, no upper respiratory. We're not talking about sneezing, coughing, that kind of thing, but just muscle aches, joint aches. You've got a fever. You feel terrible. Um, those kinds of flu-like symptoms, and you have them in summer, there's a reasonable chance you have Lyme disease, and, um, and then you, you get to the doctor. At that point, if there's no tick bite and there's no beautiful bullseye rash, then it's a little bit of a problem to diagnose it. You have to have a blood test, and, and the blood test is not perfect. You have both false positives, so people who don't have Lyme who get a positive blood test that says they do, and you get false negatives, people who do have Lyme and get a blood test that says they don't. So it's not that good of a test. It's not like that strep throat swab right. that your kid right. goes into the doctor and, you know, in 10 minutes they say, yes, you know, we're quite sure you have it, or no, we're quite sure you don't. Well, let's assume for just a moment, either based on the bullseye rash or the symptomology, or the blood test does come up with a positive that your doctor says, yes, you've got Lyme disease. Is it treatable? What can they do for it? It's fairly readily treatable as long as it's caught early on. So if you catch it, you diagnose it within the first few weeks of exposure, then the doctor will give you a prescription for an oral course of antibiotics, often doxycycline, um, and then that's a, that's a curative um, regimen. So you will be cured. If, if you first uh, know you have Lyme disease and it's months after you were exposed, which is sometimes the case um, because it's not diagnosed quickly or efficiently, then it's much harder to treat, and the oral doxycycline may not do the trick. So the longer you have it, the more difficult it is to be gotten rid of, so to speak. That's so right. let's talk about a little bit of the prevention. Um, there was a, a vaccine, wasn't there? There was indeed. Um, it was available for a few years back in the late 90s, but um, it was taken off the market by the pharmaceutical company that was selling it. Um, it looked like it was reasonably effective. It did, did the trick. It did actually immunize you against Lyme disease. Um, but there were a bunch of patients that filed a class action lawsuit that thought they were getting a bad side effect from the vaccine. And so the pharmaceutical company pulled it from the market uh, rather than fighting, and they settled out of court. So it's no longer available. So what kind of preventive measures would you recommend to our listening audience? Uh, bug spray and things like that? Well, bug spray helps. So, you know, there's no silver bullet. That's one thing that's important mm -hmm. to know. Um, t the ticks live with us. They're out in our yards. They're out in the woods. Um, we will never entirely get rid of them. One of the things that we do in the research that I do at the Cary Institute is try to understand when and where. We want to predict where are people at risk and, and where are people at not such high risk. And if we know one particular place or a particular year when you are highly likely to get exposed to an infected tick, then we can either warn people to stay out of that area or use bug spray and, and do the tick checks and, and wear the, that protective clothing that no one wants to wear in July in the Hudson Valley. Uh, and, and then we can target also um, pesticides, whether they're chemical ones, which have harmful side effects sometimes, but if they're used in a judicious way, some, they can be useful. 
um, or or biological control agents, actual organisms out there that attack ticks and kill them. Well, what what is a predator to a tick? Well, it turns out that um, there aren't that many. Um, it, one of the things that we've found in, in research in my lab recently, done with Felicia Keesing at Bard College, is that some of the best predators on ticks are the very animals that the ticks try to feed on. So oh, it turns out opossums are really effective at grooming off and killing scads of ticks that try to feed on the opossum. Mm-hmm. Um, For some reason, opossums are fastidious groomers, and they end up killing ticks, whereas these mice I was just talking about, they are not fastidious. They don't really care if they have ticks on them, and they don't tend to kill them uh, when the tick tries to feed. Other than that, um, there's not that much. There's some evidence that salamanders will eat eat these ticks sometimes. There are fungi, uh, these little microscopic fungi on the forest floor that will sometimes attack ticks as well, and we're working on them. Well, Dr. Osfeld, uh, let me ask you this question uh, from the Cary Institute about Lyme disease. You know, you hear maybe it's an old wives' tale of there are some people who have a body chemistry that both mosquitoes and and ticks find unpalatable, myself included. I used to take Boy Scouts through the woods all the time. We do the tick check, you know, in the privacy of the tents, and I never found one on me. Never, ever, not once. And, of course, you know, some kid would say, oh, Mr. Tree Boss, look at my arm, and we take the tick remover thing from the first aid kit and take care of this young man. Is that true or is that was I just lucky? Well, it's funny. We have a joke in my family that if you want to be protected against gnats and mosquitoes and, and black flies, you just stick around dad because dad <laughs> will tr- attract them away from you. Um, is that right? Yeah. And this actually has been studied with mosquitoes, that, that there are particular people who are more attractive to mosquitoes than others, and it's because of the certain chemicals in their skin that they emit. With ticks, although it almost certainly is true, it hasn't been well studied yet. But I'd well, be willing I, I to, offer I myself up to science, <laughs> and, and my co-host Sarah O'Connell will tell I'm, you that I'm, I'm, I'm repellent in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he said it, I didn't. <laughs> I, I understand that B12, though, is a natural with uh, A vitamin, you mean? Yeah. I don't know. As uh, a holistic... A holistic thing. I've been practicing that for years, and I'm here to say. Well, you know what? We're going to find out more about uh, Lyme disease and and, uh, Dr. Richard Ospel from the Cary Institute in just a moment. But first, let me remind our listeners that they're in tune with Radio Rotary on Hudson Valley Talk Radio and around the world by podcast and on iTunes and at www.radiorotary.org. My name is Jonah Trebois, and my co-host is the effervescent and attractive to everything and everybody, Sarah O'Connell. And our very special guest is Dr. Richard Osfeld from the Cary Institute discussing his research on Lyme disease. And Sarah, tell us, who brings us Radio Rotary this week? Well, Radio Rotary is sponsored by Rotary International, Rotary District 7210, and the Rotary Clubs of Arlington, Poughkeepsie, Brewster, Cairo, Congress Valley Cottage, Fishkill, Goshen, Highland Hyde Park, Kingston, and Kingston Sunrise. And we'll be back with more Radio Rotary after these important messages. This tree was never chopped down. Because this crutch never needed to be carved. Because these legs never grew weak. Because this child never got polio. Over the past 20 years, Rotary Club members have helped immunize over 2 billion children against polio. Now we're on the brink of eradicating this crippling disease once and for all. But we need your help. Thanks to an historic matching grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, every dollar Rotary raises will work twice as hard to make sure vaccines reach the people who need it, 
to protect the children of the world against polio forever. This is an opportunity to end polio now. Visit rotary.org slash end polio. Rotary. Humanity in motion. During the first week in June, the United States honors CPR and AED Awareness Week. On Sunday of that week, June 5th, HealthSave will offer seven free CPR classes of one hour each. Check the HealthSave website to register for the one-hour class of your choosing on June 5th. It's all free, and you'll be on your way to becoming a true lifesaver. Go to H-E-A-L-T-H-S-A-V dot com to register, and remember to leave the E off of save for emergencies. Hudson Valley Talk Radio. Hi, this is Sarah O'Connell, and welcome back to this edition of Radio Rotary. I am joined by my co-host, Jonah Trebowasser, and today we're talking um, about a very important health topic here in the Hudson Valley. Our guest is, and that's Lyme disease, and our guest is Dr. Richard Ostfeld from the Cary Institute, and he is, um, he's an expert um, on this topic. Uh, he's, he's in research at the Institute. He has recently written a book, which is, what, what's entitled? It's called Lyme Disease, the Ecology of a Complex System by Dr. Richard S. Ostfeld, and it is published on the prestigious Oxford University Press. And available in your local booksellers, oh, from your local booksellers. Well. Mm-hmm. And um, doctor, what first got you interested in studying Lyme disease? Or first you got you interested in, in your whole field? Well, so those are two different questions. <laughs> Let me start with the first one. Right. Um, I, um, I got interested in Lyme disease completely by chance. Um, I had moved to the Institute in 1990. Uh, and I had a lot of training in my PhD and my postdoctoral research were in the ecology of small mammals, mice, voles, chipmunks, other mammals as well. And when I got to the institute, I started up a new project. It was actually aimed at understanding how small mammals keep gypsy moths from undergoing outbreaks and eating up the forest. Right. So we went out and trapped these small mammals and found, lo and behold, they were absolutely covered with ticks. And I had never seen anything like that, that before after trapping and handling tens of thousands of these animals before. It was a local phenomenon. And I became very interested in what these ticks were doing. I, I knew that they were the ticks that, that uh, transmitted Lyme disease to people. And I wanted to know what role that the the mammals and birds in these natural ecological communities were playing in in affecting our risk of getting sick. Well, Dr. Richard Osfeld, uh, tell us a little bit also about the Cary Institute. What is that and how did it get started? Well, the Cary Institute is a a research and education institute, fairly small, um, but a a big group of ecologists. um, And it's in Millbrook. It is a a not-for-profit research organization, research and education, that got started because um, a woman who lived in New York City and had a summer home in Millbrook um, decided that she wanted to uh, create a legacy that would support ecological research. Um, and she had a fairly large fortune. She bequeathed a large portion of that fortune to create an ecological research institute. So we're very much like a, the ecology department of a university without the university around it, a bunch of academic ecologists doing research on the Hudson River. And just River. how many scientists are on staff there, there at the Cary Institute? About 17 full-time, full-time. PhD-level scientists and, and, and a lot of visitors that come in. Uh, the summer we expand in numbers by, by about a factor of two. Uh, so it's a large group of ecologists um, and a fantastic place to work. Now, getting back to your uh, Lyme disease research, uh, we talked a little bit about the fact that the best way to prevent Lyme disease is uh, use a little bit of uh, bug spray, use the proper clothing, you know. But you're, if you're not going to be out in the, in, the, in the fields, make sure you've got your socks over your trouser legs and that kind of thing to prevent the 
the tick from uh, climbing up your leg and, you know, taking a bite. What about uh, these mass spraying situations? I remember when Lyme disease first came out and it was the uh, flavor of the month in public panic, uh, they had these planes spraying large areas. Is that effective? Well, they've, they've done these planes spraying large areas for mosquitoes. I, I'm not sure that they've, right. done, they've actually ever done it for ticks, but there are various studies looking at how localized spraying of insecticides can reduce tick numbers and, and potentially reduce Lyme disease um, incidence in people. And, you know, there are chemical insecticides that do kill ticks, and if it's done appropriately in limited areas at the right time of year and infrequently, um, then it can reduce tick numbers and, and, and be one element in an arsenal uh, that, that protects your health. But chemical pesticides, as we all know, have some downsides. They do leach out into nature. They kill non-target organisms. And so um, their, their judicious use is part of our arsenal, but it's certainly not the, the, the end all and be all. And also the, it was a, there was advertising and advice about a certain level of uh, a chemical called DEET, D-E-E-T, I seem to recall. Is that something that's uh, still available and still uh, efficacious against uh, Lyme disease ticks? Yes. DEET is the main ingredient in the, the mosquito sprays that, that you can buy in any of our local stores, and you spray, and, and they do work against mosquitoes, and, and for the most part, they seem to work pretty well against ticks. Uh, so you can spray it on your clothing. You can spray DEET on your skin. It tends to be pretty harmless. Occasionally, people get an allergic reaction, but that seems to be quite rare. Our guest is Dr. Richard Osfeld from the Cary Institute. He's discussing uh, Lyme disease. He is the author of a book called Lyme Disease, The Ecology of a Complex System, and it comes from the Oxford University Press. Um, what is your background, doctor? You're a biologist, an anthropologist, what? I'm a biologist. I, I got my Ph.D. in zoology, the study of All animals, right. um, from University of California, Berkeley. Um, and I've had training at Boston University, and I've been at my current job in Millbrook since the year 1990. And I believe, are you married to a biologist or a scientist as well? I am. Um, so we actually, we talk science uh, in the kitchen while we're making dinner for our kids and, and at all other times. Is she times at Cary as well? Or? She, she's a visiting scientist at Cary, but her main job is at Bard College. She's a professor of biology there. All right, and are the kids interested in science? Are they all going to into sports or what? I mean, <laughs> you know, they're going to they be are. radio hosts. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's be. The, only if they want to take a vow of poverty. <laughs> well, our five-year-old has announced that he wants to be a lost and found man. Uh, oh, that sounds up. good. But he has talked about being a scientist before. Both of them have, and and they were watching dinosaur specials on a on a CD this morning, DVD oh, this cute. morning. So that's great. Um, but interestingly, the five-year-old I had in the bathtub last night, and I'm starting to do tick checks because it's mm. that time of year. And sure enough, he had a nymphal tick right in the middle wow. of his back between his shoulder blades. Mm. Wow. And so um, it was still flat, so it had not sucked very much of his blood mm -hmm, yet, mm -hmm. which was good because I know that I uh, removed it early in its mm -hmm, attempt to mm -hmm. feed probably before it was able to transmit anything. Now, in, in the last segment, you uh, made the point and clarified that they're, they really are not deer ticks, that they are um, they're black-legged ticks. Is That's that the correct? correct? That's, That's right. And they are... Um, the, the, the deer is just one type of transportation, so to speak, that the ticks have. That's Is right. That so, yeah, and, and uh, not to shamelessly plug the book, but I guess I am. Please I, do. I go no, into we... um, a fair bit of detail about the, the history of how this tick was, was thought to be discovered as a new species. It was later found that it was not a new species at all, um, but one that had been known for a couple hundred years to science. And 
and that it was it was incorrectly given a new name. There are rules against doing that in in this, the study of of animals. Um, but the scientists didn't know that at the time, so mm-hmm, they didn't commit mm-hmm. any crime here. But but it's the black-legged tick. The deer are an important host for the adult stage. That's the egg-laying stage. And you, the, there are pictures in here, actually, thumbing through this book. It's very interesting. And the book, so ta- it, the book we're talking about is Lyme, Lyme disease, disease, The Ecology of a Complex System by Dr. Richard Osfeld, available at Oxford University Press. Miss O'Connell, you were saying? Um, just that the uh, that there are a lot of visual aids in here. So I just want the readers not to be intimidated or afraid to pick this book up because it is very approachable. You you really are have broken it down to a layperson's ability to get their arms around it. And there's an enormous amount of very useful information in here because I think the more you understand something, the more armed you are to prevent problems. And you know, one thing I think everyone has to know is these ticks are real ticks are really tiny, right, Doctor? They are indeed. Yes, they're like dots. They are little dots. That's how I saw this one on my five-year-old wow. son's back. It was a little freckle that wasn't there yesterday, so I knew it was not supposed to be there. So if someone sees a, a deer tick, uh, meaning, again, things to avoid, uh, people say, well, if you apply heat, it'll drop off. No, it'll just make mad. Uh, how does one properly and uh, safely remove a tick? Yes, you should avoid. There are a lot of folk remedies about applying a, you know, lighting a match and, and blowing it out, but while it's still hot, applying it to the tick or putting Vaseline on to smother it. Don't do those things. The best way to get rid of the tick is to get a fine tip forceps or tweezers, grasp the tick as close to the skin as you can, so right down at the head where it's embedding its mouth parts in the skin, and pull straight out. Don't waste time. The sooner you get it out, the less likely you are to get sick or your child is or whomever. All right. And um, then you keep an eye out for any other like, symptoms that could Like present. the bullseye rash, correct? Exactly right. So you keep your eye out for a rash. Now, sometimes people get a little bit of a redness around the site of the, the, the tick bite itself in a, in a day or two after the bite. That's not necessarily a bullseye rash. Bullseye rash tends to appear at least a week later, so, mm. sometimes only a few days later, and it's big. It's a big, roundish rash. But, you know, keep your eyes out for other symptoms, these flu-like symptoms we were talking about before. Right, and... Go to the doctor. The doctor can give you antibiotics if, if, or your loved one's antibiotics if you uh, are concerned about uh, Lyme disease. That's right. And, and early detection of the tick and early removal of that tick and early treatment if there are, in fact, symptoms of Lyme, those are all key to a, a good outcome. And if you'd like to know more about Lyme disease, we uh, urge you to go get Dr. Osfeld's book, Lyme Disease, The Ecology of a Complex System by Dr. Richard S. Osfeld of the Cary Institute. It is available on Oxford University Press. Another good point for our listening audience, Jonah, is that um, Dr. Osfeld is also available as a guest speaker. I know he's addressed my Rotary Club in Millbrook. Um, and oftentimes, again, just getting knowledge and information and some basic one, two, three steps of prevention is the key to a healthier life. Somebody could contact you through the Cary Institute? Yes, and the website there is CaryInstitute.org, C-A-R-Y Institute.org. Dr. Richard Osfeld of the Cary Institute, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Rotary. Thanks very much for having me. And tell us, Sarah, who do we have to thank for bringing us Radio Rotary this week? Well, Jonah, Radio Rotary is sponsored by Rotary International, Rotary District 7210, and the Rotary Clubs of Millbrook, Newburgh, New Paltz, New Windsor, Cornwall, North Rockland, Pleasant Valley, Port Jervis, Red Hook, Rhinebeck, and Southern Ulster. For Sarah O'Connell, I'm Jonah Trebowasser. Thanking you for tuning in and reminding you to join us again next Friday morning at 9 for another edition of Radio Rotary right here on Hudson Valley Talk Radio. 
What would you do if a friend, coworker, or a loved one collapsed? Calling 911 alone will not be enough. Over 1,000 people a day die from sudden cardiac arrest. Many can be saved with early intervention. HealthSave offers CPR courses on a daily basis at our facility in Rockland County. We'll come to your home or business if you prefer. Call us toll-free at 877-277-6233. That's 877-277-6233. Or visit our website at healthsave.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-S-A-V.com. Leave the E off of save for emergencies. CPR training is for everyone. Learn CPR. Become a lifesaver.